Okay, you guys, uh, this is Richard Sachs. We're about to do the show with Dr. Lee Merritt, which we've been looking forward to for a while, one of the frontline doctors. And I thought because our time with her is fairly strictly limited, um, we may or may not go over it, but I have to respect that. So I want to save some time and read her basic bio so that you'll it's important that you know a little bit about who she is so that'll give some context to whatever she wants to share with us and i've got some words written down from her website drleemerit.com m-e-r-r-i-t-t and it says dr lee merit began her medical career at the age of four carrying her father's black bag on house calls her father was a doctor along the road, back roads of Iowa. In 1980, she graduated from the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry in New York, where she was elected to life membership in the Alpha Omega Alpha Honor Medical Society. Dr. Merritt completed an orthopedic surgery residency in the United States Navy and served nine years as a Navy physician and surgeon before returning to Rochester, where she was the only woman to be appointed um, as the Louis A. Goldstein Fellow of Spinal Surgery. She has all kinds of honors that she's gotten. Dr. Merritt has been in the private practice of orthopedic and spinal surgery since 1996, uh, served on the board of Arizona Medical Association, and is the past president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. So it goes on and on, but the the point that is important to take from this is that this is a really highly qualified uh, physician and surgeon in the conventional way of grading medical doctors. She's very high up. And the fact that she's been able to come through the system with such incredible achievement, plus her common sense and insight intact and the ability to observe patterns in nature and in her patients and really look at everything in a logical common sense point of view makes her a superstar in the modern medical world. And she's part of the American Frontline Doctors group, which has been trying to tell the truth about the pandemic from the beginning. So it's it's an incredible privilege to have her on the show. And I wanted to just let you know that before we start going on the clock with her on the official uh, show program. So let's go into that now. Hi, everybody. This is Richard Sachs. I'm your host on Lost Arts Radio. It's nice to see you here again. And we've got an exciting show that is kind of a, the beginning part of a culmination of my trying to get in touch with frontline doctors who have done such a great job ever since we saw Stella Emanuel and the other uh, really brave individuals on the steps of the Supreme Court, I think it was, and um, trying to get them to come on the show. And I, I hope that we'll get as many as possible because they need a lot of support and exposure in a good way, as much as we can do. And the first one willing to come on and talk to us was Dr. Lee Merritt, which is great. And you just heard about her bio, which I wanted to do before we actually started talking. So we'd have every minute available that we could. And there's a lot of key points that I hope we can get to at least part of them. And we'll see how we do. So welcome, Dr. Merritt. And thanks thanks for being here. It's really fun to see you. Well, nice, nice, and thank you guys for what you do. Yeah, we're trying. I mean, the only reason to know about all this horrible stuff is solutions, because I can't think of any other reason to even know about it. 
right. You know, so um, we'll get to that. But we don't. We have just a spontaneous free format. What I want to do is a couple of criterion for what we talk about. One is I'd like to put it in terms that the vast majority of people would easily understand so that we bring in everybody, not only the non-technical people, but also people who don't know anything about what's going on. Right. So it's not just targeting the people who already don't need to know this extra stuff. You know, we want it to spread. The other thing is I've got a lot of, um, kind of basic points about virology and about the current situation and about the constitutional nature of declaring an emergency and taking all your rights and say, we're really sorry, we'll give them right back to you as soon as we can. But, you know, it was really important and we decide those things for you and a lot of these key issues. So to start out, um, I guess, you know, the context of this whole discussion is that we're in what is being billed as a global emergency pandemic that threatens the survival of humanity and that's based on this terrifying virus which is COVID-19 we've had interaction with people like Francis Boyle who described the development of it in the laboratory it's being called you know Trump called it the China virus but actually it started as far as we can tell in the U.S. lab and then was sent over to China with U.S. funding which I would imagine is completely illegal and got out of there and and the only reason I think that it's intention it was intentional, though it doesn't totally matter right now, is the warning signs and the build up to it in event two oh one and the other things that preceded it. But again, that's not proof it was intentional. It's just seems highly unlikely that oh, amazing, you know, we were just going over this simulated crisis of a coronavirus, and now there's a coronavirus that got out. We have no idea how. So at this point, you know, people were collapsing and falling over in Wuhan, and that's what got it all started and started the terrorizing the world, right? The pictures of people just walking down the street, and they would just, just suddenly fall in a pool of blood. And not only is that not happening now, but in China, everybody's doing fine, and nobody's having to wear masks or anything. Right. So, I mean, obviously, we need hours to talk about this, but what do you think, in short, is what took us from those first people falling over in the street to now where even though Joe Biden said there were 200 million Americans killed at, you know, that was a couple months ago. We're probably almost all dead by now. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Probably 200 Americans, 200 million. You, you just don't see the piles of bodies in the street. So <laughs> what do you think is going on, you know, in summary? Well, you know, I think it, actually, let me just back up and say that before all this started, I was actually going to give a talk to a medical group on the weaponization of medicine because I could see the potential for this happening. And, you know, I will just tell you my worldview, and my worldview is that they've done it. They've weaponized medicine in ways that are not even 100% clear. It's not just about – we used to talk about bioweapons, meaning pathogens. We just concentrated on smallpox or anthrax or, you know, all these different things. But we didn't really look at the big 3D – global picture that could be used against us and you know uh, we the problem right now i would say that you know and i agree with dr boyle that that this this um there are coronaviruses they're they're benign they give you the little common cold if it gives you anything Mm -hmm. 
somebody, and we pretty much know some of the names, upregulated these things and made them potentially deadly. And the funding, mm-hmm. when you trace the funding all over the world, we find that there's really a scary number of bioweaponeers all over the world. And that coronavirus is a particularly wonderful pathogen for turning it into basically a, a missile against people. Right. Now, having said that, you know, we don't know if it came out accidentally or on purpose, but I can tell you with, in my opinion, 100% assuredness based on what we know about how these diseases work in nature, this mm. did not just naturally evolve to take us down. That's not what happened. Right, right. Now, the, the issue is, I mean, there are lots of stories about how this may have come out, but that really, like you say, is immaterial at this point. But what it has shown us is that... Beyond just the virus itself, which is 99.991 survivable worldwide last year, you know, mm-hmm. um, and by the way, flu the year before that was 99.992 survivable. Now, those are my numbers based on total, total deaths attributed to the, to the disease and total number of people. Everything else, you know, it's very easy to massage the numbers in this whole thing. And this is what we're fighting now about. Oh, the joke about the motorcycle rider that died and was positive for COVID and you know died in a crash. And so they said it was a COVID death. It's not completely a joke. There is that ability no. to do that. So I don't look at that. I just look at deaths that we know about. And I kind of, I'm cutting my numbers. I stopped counting in August because it was really in the summer, last summer, when the false narrative took off of cases. And, mm-hmm. and you know, what people should first recognize is, that since the history of Hippocrates, I mean, ancient medicine, we never talked of a case being anything but a sick person. You know, we have staph germs on our hands and on our skin all the time. It's one of those germs that we live with in, in, in kind of an equilibrium, right? right but right. you can get staph infections, which are, you know, people know what they are. They get a, a, a pimple or it gets bigger and they get an abscess. That's a staph infection. Mm. We don't call you a case of a staph infection just because you have it on your skin. But essentially, that's what they're doing here. They, they took these laboratory tests, these PCR tests. They figured out, and, and we could talk who they are. I keep saying they, but the, the, the bottom line is these tests were taken, and they were sent to labs around the, the country and sent to places that were going to do the testing. And these tests can be process to either give you a positive or a negative. Mm-hmm. It's not just dependent on whether or not you've actually had the virus. It depends on how we process the test. Right. And although many people and uh, have talked before about how, you know, early on we said, wait a minute, guys, you're misusing language. You're telling, you're scaring people with all these cases. And these are always just, these are just positive tests. And beyond that, you're positive. You're making the test positive by the way you're processing them. Well, nobody looked at it and nobody did anything about it, apparently. I mean, even though we knew that until the magic date of January 21st. And then suddenly, miraculously, the test cycling went down and we stopped getting so many false positive tests. Yeah. Now, you know, the problem here is, is that there's it it created a lot of confusion. And I would say the big picture here is that was the point that we are in a situation where if you wanted to take down Western civilization and America in particular, and you are a foreign power, you're not going to have really good luck going head on with our military. But what you can do is take down our economy, take down our, you know, make us all afraid, destroy our cohesion as a, as a, as a group of people. I mean, that's what is going on here. This is a big 
Yes, COVID, I, I, I tell people, I believe that COVID is actually a virus that can make people sick and then some people can kill them. Mm-hmm. But it's, a, but it's not the pandemic that has been made out to be. It's not, it's not a huge number of deaths relative to what we have in a flu season, although it's a little bit more and it's a little different. It's not a, it's not the pandemic of 1918, which killed millions and millions and 50 million worldwide. And, the other thing is we have treatment for this, and the biggest problem we're having is censorship. Like you said, I, I appreciate yeah. you having me on because one of the – America's frontline doctors has been fighting the point that we don't need to have so many people die because we have treatment, and you're being – that's being hidden. And when you look at all of this put together, you have to say – this can't be by accident. It can't be by accident that, that Tony Fauci and the CDC and the, the powers that be have told us they've failed to tell us the things that could help us be safe. Yeah. Every, 100% of them. They've failed to tell us 100% of the things we could do. And they've, they've gone out of their way to de- demean the things that treating physicians are finding actually work against this. And you have to ask yourself what that's all about. So, yeah. in a big picture, before you get into details, I would say the the you know they really, 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 really don't want you to have treatment, but they really, 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 really do want you to have this experimental genetic agent that they want to give us. Well, they don't mind if you have treatment that kills you, though. You know, because they've exactly been doing right. that. They they just don't want you to have treatment that actually works. Right. And that appears to be true. And then again, you know, I, and I was just on a, a conference call and I, we were a bunch of us talking with General McInerney, you know, which was honored to do. But anyway, and I said, um, this was my point uh, as, as a former military surgeon. We're not going to get out of this until we recognize that this is a purposeful takedown, that this is this is a weird multidimensional warfare. And I mean, far be it for me to tell a general in the army about warfare, but this is a, this is a medical, this is not one that war, the war fighters expected, you know, they really do not. If, I mean, look at it this way. If, if we had gone to, if somebody, the Chinese or whoever you think's behind this whole thing goes, would go to Detroit and they would say to the car companies, we want you to stop. We're going to buy you up and we're going to, we're going to give you a lot of money. We don't want you to make cars though. What we want you to do is to make, uh, such and such weapon that we can then take to the 50 states and blow things up. Well, I think we'd recognize that was something we needed to stop, right? Right. Somebody but instead, they went to the NIH and to Tony Fauci and to yeah. a variety of, of, you know, foundations and a variety of people, and they whoever's behind this wall, we can argue about, but the people behind it all spread a lot of money around and, in my opinion, actually created a, a warfighting capability using our medical system. Yeah. And that's, that's what I think is, is, is now in favor of that. Like I say, we know that this thing has been artificially created in a lab from bat coronavirus. It was once a bat coronavirus, but they used mm-hmm. it and we have evidence. We have patents. We know, we know where the money came from. We could follow out how they did it. And coronavirus, like I say, is totally benign, but they've made, they've done gene splicing in such a way. That the, the, that they made these special little cleavages in the spike protein of the coronavirus, the head of the virus. And that allowed it to perfectly fit into the pathway in humans to make us sick. Now, that doesn't happen naturally in, in just by evolution and just, and it wouldn't even did, it wouldn't happen this quickly. The first case of this disease, by the way, was in a military recruit in a military hospital 
I think it was a military crew, but it was a patient in a military hospital conveniently adjacent to the Wuhan lab. If this is really just natural, what's the chance? The other thing is they did not find one uh, animal in the meat market that was positive for this disease. So it did not come out of the meat market. It came out of the Wuhan lab. And everybody that early on said, oh, this is a bioweapon. We can see where it's been processed. We see where it's been genetically manipulated. Boom, they were censored. If you remember about a year ago, yeah, in February, there was an Indian group that first came out and said, we see the genetic splicing and we see certain things that were left behind that are traditionally used in the, by the Chinese gene splicers. And they were immediately censored. They were forced to withdraw their paper. It was, it was published in uh, PLOS, I think. It was, a, it, was a, it was a professional, you know, genetic research paper. Right. They were not only censored, they went back and they deplatformed Zero Hedge for having reported on it. Zero Hedge is an economic paper. Yeah, it's incredible. So when you see that kind of censorship, you kind of think, it's like when you're catching flack, you're over the target. Right. So it's they, a seal, seal of approval, basically. Right. So I, and it's, it's an interesting point. When you're looking at facts and, you know, I used to think the world was, you know, a few lies in a sea of truth. And now I think it's the other way around. It's a sea of lies and a few rays of truth. Everyone's going to squeak out. That's right. And I happen to be, this is an interesting point about figuring out what's going on. And for the average person not knowing any science, who do you believe? There was a, I was in, on an airplane, in fact, to go to uh, the, the uh, American frontline doctors meeting. And I gave my, I'm the, I'm the queen of mask denial, I guess. I'm the, oh, so that's I was great. Good mask man. That's why, that's my self dubbed term. Um, but I was giving my mask talk out in Washington, D.C., and I was sitting on an airplane, and this guy leans over and says, oh, you're talking about masks. We got talking. He was a Taiwanese engineer, and he said to me, he said, you know, in Taiwan, the reason we didn't get hit, they had one of the lowest uh, death rates in the world, why mm-hmm. we did not get hit early on, because they, they could have, because they are very close. Right. We don't ever listen. Our government, we don't pers- when we're looking at what's going on in mainland China, we don't listen to the Chinese government, the CCP. We don't listen to their mainstream news or any of that stuff. What we do is we have a whole department that measures or that monitors uh, social media in China. And mm. if they see something that starts to get censored and it becomes a trend, they start okay. following that. And that's how mm. they figured out what was happening. And that's not a bad there's two so i started t- using that technique if you see something that's being censored there's somebody that wants it censored and there's a reason and yeah. that censorship isn't science that's just that's just oppression so we need to you know start following things that are censored and, and, and people that are condemned for saying something they don't want that said the second thing mm-hmm. to look at is how many times things are fact-checked and i had a guy that i think is was somewhat military intelligence tell me this and he said he said you know, normal people don't fact check. They just put out the the opposing view, right? Uh-huh. It's too exactly. labor intensive to fact check. But when you see somebody says something and then, well, and I'll give you a recent example. There was a recent example of the Australian Navy ship that said that the news leaked out that 80% of the sailors or somebody were sick after the vaccine they were given. They were given a one of these new agents right. and um, that 80% had significant side effects that was what's leaked out well immediately that got taken down and the fact checkers came out in force and you could see like the when you when you try and google and find or duck duck go use a search engine to find about anything about the australian navy right now the first 10 things you hit are fact checkers all with about the same verbiage telling you no no that's just not true illustrating the weaponization of language in addition to that's part of it you got it the weaponization language 
Yeah, because if they just say, we won't let you say that, it doesn't sound as impressive as fact-checking. Right, and that's what, using the term case, that doesn't mean a sick person. You know, I, I would contend that this is a, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to have that on. Um, I would contend that this is 95% a psychologic operation, 5% a viral problem. Right. And psychologic operations need language perversion. And that's the first one they did was use the term cases. And, but they've been setting this up for a long time by using derogatory terms to speak about anybody they didn't want their message out. Right. Well, as a, as a weaponized program, it ran into a problem, too, because it, it seemed to be pretty harmful in the beginning. And then it, it you know, seems to have been uh, mutating into a less harmful stage. So they yeah. needed a way to come up with cases that weren't just completely fabricated. And right. it brings up the whole question of the fact that Carrie Mullis said PCR wasn't even a diagnostic test and couldn't be used for it. Right. And, you know, for diagnostic tests, you need to have a gold standard. It's yeah. clear we have a gold standard to test that against. All that can tell you is that there's a little snippet of genetic material that that picks up. And then when you cycle amplify it, when you process it enough times, it, it turns that into a positive test. Um, well, and that's how Coca-Cola you know, can test positive, too. Right. Or uh, mm-hmm. now, And that's another point. The um, the pawpaw that the president yes. of Tanzania put out. Now, the other thing is when people start popping up dead, and by the way, I'm Jeffrey Epstein didn't commit suicide, and I'm not suicidal either. Good, uh, good, I say that excellent. because there is some concern here. You know, no, that's right. the president of Tanzania, he kind of made fun of this whole thing. Uh-huh. He, uh, he tested four things. I think was it, one was a Coke, one was a papa, and they all yeah. tested. They were inanimate objects, and one was might, might have been a sheep or something. There was a but sheep they, that tested negative, and there was also a soil sample that tested positive. Yes, yeah, so there were like most of them were positive, though, including yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, it, it was terrifying. And then he he re, he rejected the any kind of experimental genetic agent, you know, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and. Then he's been, he was missing for two weeks and has now been shown to be dead. I yeah. looked up the death rate in Tanzania, which is very similar to the death rate in Uganda. And I think we should also make this point. When I looked at the death rate from January to um, August, okay, in various places around the world. Because one of the things you want to know is if there is a deadly disease, where's the best place to go? Now, by August, as your point was, it has kind of fizzled out. And that's what viruses do. As viruses, if you want to be the Napoleon of viruses and you take, you want to take off of the world and infect everybody, you can't kill everybody you meet. So there's a tendency for viruses to want to become less deadly and more transmissible. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did. So, so partially that's what happened here. So anyway, by the time it got to New York, though, they still had first generation virus and they did have some deaths. But they also had some aggravation of those deaths. So, you know, we saw about the nursing homes. 40% of the deaths in this country were in nursing homes. Now, the issue is you also want to know where the safest place to be. You know, I said it was 99.991% worldwide survival. But where's the worst place to be? Well, at the time, the worst place I found was New York State. It was Uh 0.17% death rate which is still 99.83% chance of surviving, but it was lower than most places. But compare that to countries, and we think of ourselves as a free country, but let's compare that to Tanzania and Uganda, which are about identical. They had a 0.00003% death rate, i.e. they were 10,000 times safer 
You had, if you got COVID, you're, you're 10,000 times more likely to survive and not die of COVID in those countries than you were in New York State in America with all its fancy doctors and hospitals. Right. So, so that would make you want to ask why. Well, and that would make you ask why. And one of the things that came out very quickly in this whole thing, and it was open architecture, it was a study done by people looking around the world at the best and worst outcomes. Mm-hmm. And they found that if you're in a country that uses hydroxychloroquine early and often, that you had a 78% less death rate. Now, that means had we been one of those countries, we would have saved 250,000 people last year. Okay, We didn't do that. In fact, what did we do? We condemned it, even though Dr. Fauci is on record saying he knows that it works. Yeah. He can, we condemned it. We hit it. We, we, we just ridiculed the people using it. We censored even people like Dr. Peter McCullough, who's one of the most published physicians in the world, was censored off the internet in places for just putting out a protocol for outpatient treatment using hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and zinc and these drugs that we know. So that's, again, there's the follow the censorship. Why did they not want you to do that? Even though it's been used for 70 years in around the world, billions of of doses in millions of patients, millions of people saved from malaria and from other parasites using these very safe drugs. And yet we weren't allowed to have it. Five, five governors stopped, made it illegal but many more uh didn't make it technically illegal but like my iowa governor and the they the, they signed on to a joint declaration with their boards of um medicine and pharma pharmacy to mm-hmm. say well if you use it and you don't use the certain protocol that's basically too little too late that we say you should use then we might look at your license so they threatened doctors you know they scared you into not thinking about it right and, right. and again so there's, they went out of their way to condemn this drug. Now, I have to say, when it first all, when this whole thing all started, long before we heard Trump say anything about hydroxychloroquine, doctors from all over the world had been communicating. I'd been on emails. You know, I was watching what was happening in China and India mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. these other countries where they weren't going down and they were using hydroxychloroquine. We knew about it. I mean, mm-hmm. so... So I thought, why are they doing this? I said, you know, and I was sitting home as an unemployed uh, elective surgeon. I was sitting home a lot of time to study. Why would they be doing this? Well, I discovered, and this is really what blew my mind, blew my head open and my world apart this last year. It was not fear of the virus. It was fear of my own medical establishment that hit, that I found had hidden the evidence for hydroxychloroquine treating viruses and other drugs treating viruses for, and they knew it since 1974. Now, yeah. I graduated medical school in 1980, so I can maybe buy that by that point they hadn't, they didn't know enough to recommend it. But this is more than that. They actually hid this fact from professional medical publications. They didn't let, they didn't fund research. I mean, this should have been a huge, Huge research project. Yeah. They hid it. They hid that we, and I I asked my son, who, by the way, is a surgeon, and I said, Did you ever hear that there was even a chance that we could treat viruses with these kind of agents? Nope. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, that's, that's a, that's an unbelievable coordinated crime. I think it stays camouflaged because average normal people can't imagine evil like that. You're right. Assume that most people are just good people. Right. Especially doctors and medical people. Especially doctors. But I think what we found out is that there's doctors and there are doctors. And you can buy a doctor just as cheap as you can buy a politician, probably cheaper. Yeah. And 
really the history of medicine is not so pure, unfortunately. I mean, we all know about the World War II uh, Mm -hmm. German experiments and all the things that were done then. What most people don't realize is that... um, that our pharmaceutical industry is kind of the descendant of that pharmaceutical industry. But, but there are lots of examples around the world of very big evil being done by physicians. South Africa was experimenting yeah. with all sorts of stuff. Um, we did. We experimented. There was a doctor in this country that gave live cancer, I mean, active cancer cells to healthy people to see what their bodies would respond to be. And instead of getting delicensed, although two states looked at him, he became the vice president of the National Cancer Society. So yeah, That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. We did, we did uh, up through the 90s. We were doing um, sterilization on Native American women without their consent or their knowledge. Uh, I just, the only thing so, I would take exception to in that is the, the use of the word we. Well, I'm saying, you know, right. I, I, it's not I me. don't think it was you. No, no, no. You're right. Yeah. I, I, it isn't. But it, unfortunately, um, you have, you, there's a, there, there's problem. Medicine can be used for good and for evil. That's really what we have to admit. And we have to really look at what's the, what's the possibility that this is not an accidental use of this. And we have to take our world back from anybody, you know, the, and, and, you know, I mean, they say that four to 10% of the world, and I think it's somewhere in there, mm-hmm. uh, are psychopaths. And psychopaths don't have empathy for the rest of us. They don't really care about the rest of us. Right. And when you talk about motive and who's, who could be behind wanting to take us down, it, it's hard for us to wrap our head around it because we would never do those things. We're not psychopaths. But yeah. it turns out that psychopathology is also kind of compensated psychopaths do very well in politics and actually become surgeons sometimes. Yeah. So, Yeah, it's and they get into uh, finance too because finance. we've talked to high, pretty high-level bankers and to be allowed into the upper circles, they have to really sign off their conscience permanently. I've heard that exact phrase said. And actually, I I get asked all the time, because there is a tendency, I do say it, I say, you know, they they are doing this, they're doing that, because there's got to be somebody behind this. This isn't all accidental. And when somebody says, well, who are they? And I said, well, you know, we can, the proximal benefits, you know, who, qui bono, who benefits, it proximal, the first level beneficiaries are clearly the pharmaceutical industry. But yeah. if there was a study, and you probably are aware of it, but I just learned about this, there was a study done in Switzerland in 2011. If people don't think there are conspiracies or that there's not anything like this going on, in 2011, they looked at all the corporations. There was a study done by Glatfelder or Gatfelder and his colleagues, and they looked at the 37 million plus corporations in the, in the world yeah, and then yeah. they they plugged it into a supercomputer and it spit out that all of those were actually controlled by 3170 corporations mm-hmm. and then they did it again with some different parameters and then they got that there were 147 corporations that controlled all the rest of the corporations in the world yes well beyond that forbes looked at it and they got it down to 10 corporations and then some other independent researcher looked and said if you understand the way that these big funds work you're down to four co- four big financial institutions and they're controlled roughly by 150 men yeah that's really true so there are 150 men in the world that essentially control the wealth of 60 to 70 percent of the world's corporate wealth i mean yeah you know i I got so interested in this exact question i think it's really critical for understanding 
the issue not just to say, oh, this is really terrible, but just to try to come up with a strategy that's a remedy for it, just like HCQ for the virus, you know, right. on a higher level. And I spent about, I got really interested and spent about 20 years doing that. And we took it to a level that is not about money at all. It's basically satanic. And although it's not, the word satanic doesn't matter. It's the essence of what it is. And it's basically a ceremonial sacrifice of the biosphere, including the perpetrators. It's a suicide mission. And they're totally devoted to it. And they're doing it step by step with certain milestones and uh, notices that have to be honored. And because they have the technology to wipe it all out right away. And they're not doing that. So, that fact buys us time. And I think it's a consciousness test for humanity, really, because we're walking around with the potential to change it. We are. And, you know, that's really, I'm so pleased you said that because I don't often bring that mm-hmm. up. But the real, tr- you know, this is why, so I'm, I'm, you know, I was once in academic medicine, but I'm not now. I'm, I'm small town doctor in nowhere, you know, just talking against masks, right? McGill yeah, University yeah. came out with a hit piece targeting me personally. I mean, they talked about walk away from uh, Americans' frontline doctors, but then they uh, t- purposely came after me and said, Lee, Lee Merritt might be a good orthopedic surgeon, but she doesn't know about the science of masks. And you have to ask uh, yourself, I mean, I just brushed it off, but you have to ask yourself, why would a major university take the time to personally demean somebody instead of just putting out the data? Well, the answer is masks you know, again, not when you're over the target, you're catching flack. When you're over, when you're catching a lot of big, heavy flack like that, you're over a target that they really, really don't want to give up. And that mat, the masks are critical. And why? Because they're not about contagion control. They're an occult symbol of submission. Exactly. And right. Yeah. They, have, they, they do have the extra benefit that they could give you bacterial pneumonia. If they right. Were, and they can make you sicker. And they completely are destroying our children's psychosocial development and leading to depression and suicide. But other than those good qualities, they're they're really here for a purpose. And I I was reminded by a a very smart guy, Princeton professor, of the history of the Chinese that came over here to build the railroads. And I'm from Omaha, Nebraska area. And quite frankly, you know, we always see those pictures of the Chinese men building the railroads with the long braids down their back. Uh But that wasn't their hairstyle. Their hair, they were Han Chinese, which was the, is still the majority ethnic group, but they had been, the Han had been uh, conquered by the Manchu. So at the time those guys came over, the Manchu men were all forced by the, I mean, the, uh, all the men in China, all the Han men were mm-hmm. forced to wear the Manchu queue as a sign of submission to okay. the emperor at pain of death. Right. Even in this country, they would send agents over here. And if they found Chinese men over here working the railroads without the queue, they'd kill them. And yeah. Quite frankly, never underestimate the power of a symbol. So that's why the masks are so key to this whole takedown and why I I keep telling people, if you want this to go away, the first thing you have to do is take off the mask and hug your relatives and open your business and not social distance and not the stupid elbow bump. But the mask is key because once you take off the mask and once everybody starts doing it and they realize, hmm. I didn't drop over on the street. I'm okay. You know, it'll yeah. become a habit again. And they'll realize how silly this whole thing was. It wasn't silly, really, but how, how ridiculous the masking was and how well, you, bad you, it was for us. To continue with that, you may not be able to take your kids to school, right? If you want to keep right. them safe and, and see them again and things like that. 
Right. And and this is just one of the nonsense things as part of the psychologic operation. But you're right about the masks are, you know, standing. The other thing is, and you probably know this, uh, what do they do in, although they don't use the term Satanism, uh, I understand, but the in these occult rituals, these these satanic type, these satanic rituals, they do three things to new initiates. They have them wash their hands, put on a mask, and stand six feet apart in a circle. I mean, yeah, that's before the nasty part starts. That's before the nasty parts, right. Yeah. But at least, you know, and, and from the people that I know that look into things like this, they say, you don't have to be a willing or knowledgeable participant to actually be caught up in one of these things, you know, caught up in this whole occult scheme. And that, I think the masks are critically important to get rid of for that reason alone and yeah. also the other things. It's a statement that says, I submit. Oh, it is. And, mm. you know, I got to tell you the story that I, I told this at the city council, and I still didn't get them to get rid of the mask mandate in Omaha. But it is the saddest thing I think I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I remember my boys when they were little, and my mother was horrified. I put them in daycare more than half day a week to go work. But um, but they were home with me most of the time. But, you know, I, I saw them, and they'd, they'd, you'd walk, the kids would walk back to daycare, and they'd hold hands. They'd be two by two, and, you know, they'd be going. And, and I had a, I, I, my office in Omaha, there's a daycare down the way, and they'd go to get a little pizza treat, and then they walk back. And I used to see them giggling and smiling mm-hmm. and holding hands. Now what do yeah. I see? I just see they're three- and four-year-olds, and I see them. They're walking with, the, they've got the mask on. Their heads are bowed. Their hands are behind them. They're just, and they're they're. They're walking very, like a, a very slow march, two feet, three feet apart, and it looks like a little gulag parade of miniature prisoners. And yeah, that's, that's essentially what, what it is. It's that's horrible. Incredible. Yeah, that's I, I a horrible thing. If it's allowed to go on, if, if, if it keeps going and people survive it, kids are going to grow up being afraid of anybody that doesn't have a mask on. That's right. And just to, just to having an inchoate fear about the world. You know, yeah. a friend of mine who's also an AFLDS doctor, he would be excellent to talk to. I'll see if I can get Dr. McDonald out here. But he, I had the opportunity to sit across from him at dinner, and I asked him that question. I said, because I had spoken in my talk, and he gave a longer talk about the psychological damage of masks. And he, by the way, he said to me, he said, in his practice, he's a pediatric psychiatrist, he yeah. said they've never seen dual... Uh, two-digit suicidal ideation in their practice. In other words, you know, it's always like 5% or 6% of kids that are coming to see a psychiatrist have some interested in suicide. Now it's 25%. They've never seen yeah. that before. Yeah. And so I asked him, I said, if we took off the masks today, would this all be gone? And he said, no, unfortunately, we have a generation of children we've damaged. And he said, if the, you know, if you're older and you're well, you know, you've got your ego pretty well formed mm-hmm. and you you know, a good, good from a good, solid home life, and et cetera, et cetera, you'll probably do better. But but everybody's being harmed by this. And I actually looked up some literature on facial. There's two aspects of looking at, you know, the one of the biggest metabolic needs of the brain is looking at another human face. It's a hugely important issue. It's a huge, mm-hmm. you know, it is what makes us human, is touching each other, seeing each other, uh, communicating with each other with our face. And when you take that away, there's a big loss to humanity. I and mean, that's my medical practice, I can tell you, it's just a nightmare trying to interrelate with patients wearing these stupid masks. So I looked at these studies about how you, it's not just about recognizing people, that's that's facial recognition, but there's also read, what we call in parlance reading faces, which they have a technical term for, but it's understanding what that person is communicating just by the facial expression. Yeah. And it turns out that you don't just finish developing that skill when you're five years old. 
you know, facial recognition, you learn very early, but the ability to understand what that person is saying to you based on the facial and, and just body gestures thing, that develops up through your teenage years. It's what they tried to make up for with emojis on texts, <laughs> right. you know, but it doesn't work very well. It doesn't work. No. Yeah. And now they're taking away their, you know, I don't know if you've seen, I'm sure you have, you see these pictures of like high school girls volleyball teams and they're on their poses and they're on masks on. What? Incredible. And I, the other, the other thing about masks, lastly, I'll just say, I asked Dr. McDonald, I said, please explain to me, even if masks work, which they don't, it, it, even if it did, who are these people wearing a mask alone in a car? You know, haven't you wondered that? And, and, and maybe that, somewhere in a shower. I that's said, before they get into multiple masks, too. Right. Yeah, that'll be next, the multiple masks. Well, he explained it to me, so I don't quite feel they're so crazy. But these are Stockholm Syndrome people. They're people yeah. that, and this is the PSYOP. This is essentially the psychological operation that's been run against us. They first, monop- they first isolated us, and that's the first thing you do in, in a, the chart of coercion about how you deal with prisoners. You uh-huh. isolate them first to get them uh-huh. to obey, to cooperate. And then the second thing you do is you monopolize their perception. So you, you give them like the constant, like here it was mainstream media. But if you're a prisoner of war, you're told the same things over and over and over. But then when, what, when you finally start getting comfortable even in that, they send in somebody to confuse you, like Dr. Fauci, the doctor of confusion. So right. it tells you something different all the time. So if you're a prisoner, they might say, well, pack your bags, you're going home tomorrow. And then you get all excited. And then a minute later, five minutes later, the other interrogator comes and says, well, what are you doing? No, you're going to be here another 10 years. We're just moving to a different thing and blah, blah. So you never can get your feet. It's like being on shifting sand. And yeah. what that does, confusion on top of fear creates anxiety. And anxiety is what makes people just willing. They can't, you cannot stay in an anxiety zone. So all of us have to have a, a coping mechanism. Now, for me, it was sitting yeah. around studying all the science. And uh, joining AFLDS has been great. Be- becoming a warrior in this, this information takedown. But many people, the Stockholm Syndrome people are people that think if they just cooperate to the nth degree, they'll be safe. They'll be okay. So they wash their hands 50 times a day and they wear six masks and they, you know, whatever it takes. And that's the people in the car alone. Yeah, exactly. They're trying to feel better. Right. They got themselves out of the anxiety zone. And, but then the next step is they have to criticize you for not wearing a mask because you're threatening them. That's right. And the other side of that is when you shame people, that's not a scientific point. That's, that's, that's a, that's what, that's what cults with a, a, a strange religious belief do to anybody that doesn't have their belief. Yeah. That's a sign of a cult, not, not a, not a scientific uh, argument. Science, I mean, this is a subject for even multiple shows on its, on its own, but science has morphed from questioning everything, which is a basic tenet of real science and, and no ego involvement at all. You just. Right happy to be shown that you're wrong because that's great. It means you're closer to what's right. It's more from that into memorization of acceptable information. And programs, uh, your protocols. And protocols, yeah. Yeah, and we knew that was going to happen, right? When they came out and they came up with the idea of best practices and recommendations for medical treatment. Right. And then it became, you know, if you don't do this, then you're in violation of some Medicare code. You know, you and there, are, there are themes that arise, too, because if they can find a treatment that's so damaging, it causes more of the, of the problems that they can then blame on the original, uh, whether it's a virus or whatever. The this, this same thing was done in AIDS 
in, in the so-called AIDS pandemic because they were giving people drugs, notably AZT and other things like that, that caused all the symptoms they were blaming on AIDS. And there is a serious question of whether, you know, that was the pandemic, really. And there was a Dr. Wilner uh, that gave a lot of talks about that. And he'd bring an AIDS patient with him and he'd, with permission, of course, make a cut on the AIDS person's hand and on his own and mix the blood and rub it into his own hand. And he said, this is all a total scam. And he did that 200 times. And wow. he said, it's not what you're being told. But the drug does cause everything that's listed as a symptom. And they could be doing the same thing in this particular case, but I think they needed more death numbers and more case numbers. And so they needed a test that really doesn't test anything. Right. And it was really convenient that the inventor died right before the pandemic. And they also needed death certificates to be changed. And we've had doctors explaining that, uh, that not just the motorcycle guy, but, I mean, heart attacks and, you know, falling off bridges and all kinds of things. And if if it was really that dangerous, they probably wouldn't needed to do that. Well, and most notably, the flu went away last year. It was amazing. And they're saying, well, it's because you finally wore a mask. No. And you know the funny thing there? The CDC itself, in their journal, Emerging Infectious Diseases, published an article in May or June of 2020 absolutely debunking that. It showed that wearing a mask, this is community spread of influenza, and they said wearing a mask, wearing um, uh, washing your hands, and disinfecting your environment made absolutely no difference to the spread of influenza. That's their own conclusion. But right. that's what they tell us. So this is just updated, and they're saying, well, don't pay any attention to that. We're just kidding. It's actually the opposite. Yeah. And all yeah. these things are what il- eradicated the flu. And they've done the same with vaccines, because um, if you look at the bigger graph and you zoom out of the incidence of a certain disease, notably uh, smallpox and polio and things like that, they let it almost disappear. And then they start start vaccinating at that point. And usually there's a little bump from the vaccine and then it evens out. But now, well, now poli- we're actually getting worse because polio is being caused almost entirely by polio shots. Right. And what we're seeing in Israel is a kind of I mean, it, it may be a similar issue. So um, in Israel, where they really have put a push on vaccinating people. Yeah, seventy percent. Yeah, like they've got over fifty percent. I know, and maybe it's more. But by mid-February, there was there were two gentlemen. One's a biologist, and you may know this about Dr. Seligman, but he's a bi- biologist from Marseille, and he's in the departments of infectious disease and epidemiology. So he's not lightweight. I mean, he, he right. knows what he's looking at. And a guy named Yativ, who's an engineer and knows numbers, and they the, the two of them have their only reason for doing this, I guess, was that they have kids in Israel. They they made the point in the paper: we're not getting paid by anybody. We're not paid by the drug companies. We're not working for the government. We are only conflict of interest is we have children in Israel and yeah. they're, and they have dual citizenship. And they looked at the data from the government in Israel on the benefit of COVID vaccine, the Pfizer COVID vaccine to the people that were getting it in Israel. And basically at the point they looked at it, 12.5% of the population had been vaccinated, but 51% of the people dying of COVID the disease we're supposed to be vaccinating against, right? 51% dying had had the vaccine. 
Now, if the vaccine weren't making things worse, you'd expect both of those groups to be 12.5% because that's the average vaccination rate, right? Then then when they broke it down by age, it turned out that the, uh, if you're over 65, your risk of dying of COVID if you'd had the vaccine was 40 times more than if you hadn't had the vaccine. And if you were under 39, it was 260 times worse. So you need some adjustment by the media not to focus on that kind of thing, or you might get people wondering whether it's legitimate. And right. the same thing happened in the Disneyland measles outbreak. You know, what they kind of forgot yes. to mention is most of the people who got the measles were already right. vaccinated against it. Yep. Right? And it did have an effect. It seemed to make the measles worse than the wild type. So right. can't say that the vaccines do nothing. Um, I'm trying to talk at chipmunk speed now because our time is already running out i don't know if you have a few minutes leeway or not sure i do i do because um, one thing i think is really important to mention that um you know they have all these questions and hazards of so-called regular vaccines but the new ones have the toxins in them like aluminum and polyethylene glycol and formaldehyde and stuff like that plus they also have the genetic altering capability to turn you into a GMO human in addition to the usual poisoning. So there are millions of people getting those shots now, not just the maybe 70% in Israel so far, and they want 100. But in the U.S. too, millions, you know, it's going really fast now all over the world. And I think they're hoping to eventually make it so, oh, we forgot to tell you, you need one a month. Right. That sort of thing. you know, it's crazy that they're, everybody wants to rush and it's, they rush, they're, they're, they're rushing to get the, something. They don't know what's in the vaccine. And in fact, no one outside of the research top people know what's in the vaccine. And they don't, most of them don't even check. No. And, you know, in, and even if you try to check, like I read the EUA, the uh, emergency authorization approval documents yeah. that Pfizer sent to the FDA, uh-huh. it tells you not enough to know what's in there. It it sounds like they're telling you what's in there, but it's it's like if I were going to try to describe you for a wanted poster, I could put put down, he's made of glucose and and calcium and magnesium, and he's got a lot of DNA and RNA in him. Go find him. Oh, I know that guy. Yeah, that's that's so insane, and that's essentially what they're telling you about. When they say they're making a synthetic RNA to the spike protein of coronavirus, it tells you basically nothing. Right. And then when they tell you that there's a lipid, and they, they run this thing out, it's like a one-word, huge, hyphenated, you know, you know, acetyl N323DPG, blah, 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 right. chemical, that doesn't tell you anything either. What's really no. going on here is they're making a synthetic, genetic, programmable chip essentially i mean it's not a chip i don't want people to say they're chipping you they're, they're putting a but the the mrna is programmable it, they tell us they've programmed it to make the covid spike protein but we don't know that because we have no independent review right and the the problem is is that when you take rna and you and you put it just draw into humans it den- it degrades very quickly so what they've had to do is wrap this stuff in a this this big complex lipid thing is actually a, a nanoparticle lipid membrane they've put it in to make the RNA last longer. Well, what's the problem with that? Well, the problem in all of this is we've never, ever used this technology before in humans. It's right. never passed the animal testing. The animals died. And it's never been trialed for any period of time before they rolled it out to the whole world. What could possibly go wrong, right? I mean, nothing. Maybe all the animals just got too old. 
They, yeah, right. No, they died of a, the, a very interesting thing. They died of immune enhancement, which mm. is, or and now they call it antibody dependent enhancement. But but the point is that they never got around that. And quite frankly, they tried this technology um, against a genetic disease called Krigler-Najjar. I may be mispronouncing that, and they couldn't get it to work. They couldn't get it to pass the safety bar. But you see, there is no safety concerns with vaccines if you can be indemnified. Now. Mm. The, the problem here is that not only so we don't so people don't know how how it was made they don't know what's in it they don't know how it works your doctor doesn't know how it works right. and I didn't you know people ask me about does it get into your genome and I couldn't quite figure out how it could because of the way I, I mean it's not retrovirus it's not that kind of a, a delivery system in these Pfizer and Moderna vaccines however I talked to and this is the big issue I mean it's one of the huge issues I talked to um, uh, Judy Mikovits, and I asked her that question, and here's what she explained to me. She said that the mRNA or RNA, the MR, messenger RNA, actually is a feedback re- regulator, epigenetic regulator of DNA. In other words, your body normally makes little snippets of RNA that go out and make the proteins that become you. It's the blueprint of those proteins. But then you also make DNA, RNA that goes back and, and tells your DNA what to do. So it's potential for us to be taking this this genetic agent that's going to reprogram what our DNA does. Even if it doesn't mm-hmm. get into it, it's going to reprogram it and it can be permanent. It can methylate it, and methylation can cause you to have little knots in your DNA. It could express a cancer gene. We have no right. clue. Right, right. Right. And, and we're just taking on faith, and I don't have much faith in these guys. Yeah, I, ha- I have faith, but just not in them doing a lot of good things. Right, right. You have faith in their consistency. And they've talked about injecting, um, what do they call it, the quantum dot technology. Right. It is readable from the outside, not just to see whether you've had a vaccine, but your entire health and financial records and right. a way to replace money so that with the right behaviors, you can get credits. And I think they are going to try to do that. Why do you think they want small businesses shut down that could operate right. You know, barter and cash, but they yeah. they're keeping Amazon and, and Walmart alive. Exactly, you know those kind of. And I'm not just picking on them, but they're keeping the very big giants alive that could go to this and demand the cashless society. So exactly, which means total problem. control. Yeah. So, um, I guess you know it's pretty clear, or it should be to most people that. I mean, even if you're going to eat some processed food that has a paragraph of ingredients, you really would like to read what's in the food right before you decide to eat it or should uh, that should be in basic education by third grade or so but if you're going to inject something into your body it's even more important and um a lot of people that i'm talking to are realizing that after they get the vaccines right the first one or the second one yeah the second one and you know in those animal studies and what you pointed out is it's misleading and untrue that this is an untested vaccine i mean maybe not exactly the same as the other covid vaccines or, or the other coronavirus vaccines but it very similar uh, they're similar enough to have concerns about right well seriously when the animals died right right and and, and we already have seen a there was a physician i, and I don't i i i mean you know when a fellow physician dies you kind of perk up your ears so yeah sure. there have been two deaths of physicians that really caught my attention and one of them was a uh, uh, the OBGYN doctor down in Florida, 55, 56-year-old guy, perfect health according to his family. 
and he took the vaccine and four days later he was dead because he had no platelets. Platelets are the little parts, you know, of the bloodstream that plug for your listeners, plug the holes so you don't bleed out. Mm-hmm. We've had diseases in the past that, that caused your platelets to go down, but they don't go to zero and they don't kill you in four days. So what we're seeing is a totally novel thing. And when that happened, I said, you know, that should be, that should be run to ground. We should not just ignore that. Well, before I could almost get that sentence out of my mouth, 36 more cases were reported. And then even more. And then Norway and some other Scandinavian countries stopped the AstraZeneca vaccine because they were seeing it. Now, I've heard, I don't know, I haven't checked that, but I've heard that they restarted the, the vaccination program. But what I'm doing is looking at the VAERS, the Vaccine Adverse um, uh, Reporting System, Adverse Event Reporting System. And I can tell you, this is a big deal. Yeah. And the problem is that just because the total numbers are minuscule compared to the total numbers of people getting vaccinated doesn't mean it's not a critically bad deal. This is like any any drug that comes out that turns out to be bad later that we yeah. find out what happens is at first, it's like a little snowball and it starts going down the mountain and it's you don't hear much at first until it starts picking up steam and becoming an avalanche. Right. You can easily catch it when it's an avalanche, but we've had a lot of people dead by then. Yeah. And that's what that's what this is starting to look like. We are now and so the 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 principle that we should use of how to spot those is when you see an unusual snowball. When you see something at the top that doesn't look right, don't wait for it to roll down the stream and just just hope it goes away. So that doctor's death should have been a clue. Right. And we've got another fellow orthopedic surgeon, 37-year-old guy in Memphis, Tennessee, took the vaccine. It turned out he had had COVID and didn't know it because he had antibodies. And Mm -hmm. he developed what happened basically in the animals. He developed this multi-organ inflammatory syndrome and died within days of that. It just total Mm -hmm. body inflammation. That's essentially what we saw in the cats and, and, and to some degree the ferrets, it was mostly lungs, but they, that's how they died. And, it, and the reason is because you're, you're reacting, you're, you're, you're either primed, there's two ways that can happen. You're, you're biologically primed to have an excessive response to any virus or something, mm-hmm. or you are, you are, um, uh, you make a, you make an antibody that is not it doesn't neutralize the pathogen. It doesn't neutralize the germ. It's an artificially created antibody from this artificial mRNA. Right. And so it just hides it. It brings it in like a Trojan horse and hides it in your body, and then you, you get sepsis and die, you, overwhelming infection. Is there also a pathway where there's a, a certain kind of uh, antibody that goes in and creates or stimulates uh, inflammation that's needed in a first stage, but the second stage that goes in and shuts that down and stops the inflammation doesn't show up. Right, and that's a direct. That's what that's what Dr. Mikovits is talking about with the with the the mRNA feeding back to the DNA and altering the expression. Right. So I think that's where that comes in. So yeah, there's there's multiple. Let's just say there's multiple ways this thing can go south. That can, yeah. can do the wrong things, and I think we're seeing it. I think the other thing we're seeing is miscarriages, yeah. and it's really tragic when you read on those in there. There's a lot of them, and it, yes, ten to twenty percent of women can have miscarriages. I'm not an OBGYN doctor, but my friends that are tell me most of that occurs in the first trimester, some in the third, rarely in the second. But this is not a respecter of trimester. This is almost mm-hmm. always within four days of the vaccine. So yeah. that, you know, again, the, the temporal, the story matters. 
And, and the fact that, yes, people can develop, you know, loss of platelets, but not like this. I've never, by the way, that's one that's so unique, I've never seen it. But yeah. some of the other things you see, uh, you know, I guess could happen. But it's temporally related to the vaccine. You there's, know, a, there's a reason they needed global indemnification from governments to do this. Right, right. It's not and, that they had no idea what would happen. That's exactly right. And, and not only were they asking for indemnification, if we want to go down that rabbit hole, think what they did in South America and probably other places, but I know this happened to Argentina and Brazil and some other nations down there. They asked them to pledge sovereign assets overseas to get the vaccine. Yeah. So they wanted military bases. What does what does Pfizer care about military bases? They wanted them to pledge military bases and their sovereign assets overseas and embassies, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, they're part of a larger agenda for sure. There's a reason that we were taught that conspiracies are always nonsense. Right. Nobody can look at them. Right. <laughs> I have a friend. Actually, you'll like this. Though. I have a friend who's yeah. a he's a he's a spine surgeon like I am and and, right. and he said to me several years ago he said you know I think I've decided that I'm going to believe all conspiracies because I think it's I'll be more safer. statistically right than if I believe none that was very smart I, <laughs> I thought that was because a great really I, you know what it looks like at this point is that they go far beyond what the conspiracy people think I That's, mean it's much deeper and it really that's that's the part about um Goebbels was right that you tell the lie big enough long enough people just don't pay attention to it anymore you know because and it can't be true that all these people would be lying you know all they these can people be. can't be psychopaths but it's really yeah. there there's no reason for us not to be using hydro if, just pick that one thing yeah yeah why not use hydroxychloroquine? Why would you not pay attention to somebody like Pierre Corey, who's who's a world expert in intensive care unit treatment, is telling you ivermectin works? Yeah, pay attention and gets censored. Even for pretty advanced cases, for both right, of those, right? And yeah. and here's a simple one: for years, there's been literature out there showing that your risk of flu is vastly decreased if you keep your vitamin D level up. Right. Okay. There's there's a lot of evidence for vitamin D helping you fight off viral illnesses. And mm-hmm. yet there's a simple thing that did our CDC mention it? No. They they didn't say one thing in our favor. Now, I was kind of kicking there were three groups of people that went down with this this disease in China that I was watching. Okay. The first group are the people that just got a little cold and they walked away. And that was the 98, 99%. Most people that got this, even in China, walked away from it. Yeah. The second group were the people that you saw dying or dead. They passed through the ICU and then died. Mm -hmm. And the question is, what's the difference between that group and the big group? This is a pretty good, you know, what's going on there? And I kept waiting for the CDC or somebody to sort this out. Well, the Indonesians finally did. For all the billions of dollars we give the CDC, they didn't come up with it. But the Indonesians, very simply, they, they tested the people in the ICU and the people that are dying, and uh-huh. they tested their other people in the hospital that had COVID. And it turned out that if you keep your vitamin D level above a level of 30, which isn't very high, you really want to have it up to 60 probably, that you, cannot, that you're, you're, you had less than a 4% chance of ending up in the ICU or dead. Now, that's a simple intervention. Quick and cheap, yeah. Simple, but you can't get it from the sunlight. I used to work in Yuma, Arizona, where it's the sunniest city in America, and golfers there would have levels of 20. Well, yeah, but they wore clothes. 
Yeah, and that's the problem. That's that's it. Yeah, if you want to be naked on the equator in a loincloth, you might be okay. But, I think but, that was maybe the design. That know. was probably the design. But we we in northern climate, even farmers, even golfers, don't think you're getting yeah. it from the sun. That's really my point. But that's yeah. a, but my real point is that's a simple thing to have told us, right? But yeah. what have they really told us? If you look what government has told us over the years about vitamin D, and I'm an orthopedic surgeon, and I see adult rickets all the time, and uh-huh. I can t- and I always tell people I take ten thousand units a day. You're not going to overdose at that take it for a while after next time you go to your doctor get a level that's what i tell people and i've been doing no. that for a long time and after ten thousand for years i my level is only 55 so not everybody it gets the same but nobody overdoses at ten thousand units a day unless you're on dialysis right. maybe so the point being that's a simple cheap thing to do right why did they not tell us to do it and why did the government itself the institute of medicine has repeatedly said you don't need more than 400 units a day well, you know exactly why. <laughs> yeah, well, I know. That's a rhetorical question to you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tell that to people to ask them why, why they would, why they would, you know, why, why do you think, if these are all good people, why are they doing that? And do, do you really think that the, the whole CDC and, and the Institute of Medicine and all the people that we entrust to make these big medical ideas about research and where we're going to go in the future yeah. are yeah. this dumb? That they shouldn't, they don't, they don't, they don't understand vitamin C. They don't understand D. 50% of people dead with this are low in zinc. There's another chance. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's crazy. They tried to do it all over Europe with the, um, what was that group called? Um, it's a Latin name. Anyway, it was in charge of making sure that the levels recommended were so low that they oh, wouldn't yeah. do uh, I don't remember the name, but I know oh, what you're talking it's about. right on the tip. Now, of Scotland, on the other hand, Scotland, God love them, they are giving out free vitamin D because they figured out if oh, you good. get that people's vitamin D level up, their bottom line on their National Health Service goes down. So they're you kind know? of stepping out of line. They have right. To so talk to you by somebody. Yeah, maybe um, they do it quietly, and I shouldn't have ratted them out. Yeah, you know? yeah. I don't want Scotland to get murdered. <laughs> One little thing to mention for a minute here is that if people have already had the vaccine, which more and more have, and I think we're going to be talking to larger and larger percentages of audiences that are already vaccinated that are starting to realize maybe that wasn't a really great idea. Um, one of our friends, Dr. Uh, Sherry Tanpenny, you know, that'll be back on soon, has been saying that there's no way to um, undo the damage of this particular vaccine because of the genetic alteration. And I think that I don't want to accept that you know something is impo- actually scientifically you can't honestly say something's impossible you can only right. say i don't know how to do it yet right right and, and there there's, there's some possibilities i mean you know first of all when they're telling us we might have to get vaccinated every time we go on a trip or every six months that tells yeah. us this doesn't last as long as maybe they they want it to um so there's a possibility that this is going to go away if we can just survive that first six months. What she's concerned about, and I'm concerned about too, is that the dying hasn't really started. We've the, the early exactly. deaths, yeah. the early deaths are happening, but this late immune problem. If you get exposed to another coronavirus or another virus that trips off this immune problem, that right. could be happening this coming fall. So, so I, here's what I tell people. I said. Yeah. You know, this is what I do for myself, whether or not, and I'm not, I haven't taken the vaccine, but this is what I do for health. And it's, you want to be as anti-inflammatory as possible because we know right. this thing gets you with inflammation partly. So eat, don't eat wheat and barley. Those are, those are, those are 
unfortunately, they're artificially created foods these days that produce inflammation we know in the body. Yeah. I, I, I eat a gluten-free diet. Second thing is don't eat artificial oils. These oils that are processed like soybean, corn, uh, canola oil, Crisco, margarine, all the stuff they used to tell us was good. Turns out that was a, a sham brought to us by the sugar industry. But it turns out you don't want to eat those because they produce the precursors, the chemicals in your body that help make inflammation. Right. And then the other thing is, um, I would take the supplements. I actually, on my, on my website, I have a website called themedicalrebel.com. I have the nine supplements everybody should take, but it talks about taking things to reduce inflammation in the body. And for this one that you mentioned it, vitamin D, C, NAC, N-acetylcysteine is probably a big one for that. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing I personally would do, and I think everybody should think about this, get online. Now, you can go through the American frontline doctors. I don't do this personally, but the AFLDS.org, they do for a fee. They give you a prescription for some hydroxychloric when they go through a pharmacy mm-hmm. for prophylaxis. But you yourself can get online and get ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine over the Internet. And you can find these protocols to use it if you did get sick. Because quite mm-hmm. frankly, the problem is if 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 what's going to happen what we're what dr tenpenny i think is the same thing as i'm worried about this inflammatory overshoot or this pathogenic priming you can go down very quickly that's what it does it takes you quicker than it would if you were just fighting this off yourself so my advice is have this thing around and you start getting sick within the first say year of having this thing start treating yourself i'm not i'm not that's not official medical advice but that's what i would do if i were me you know, yeah. if, I, if I'd done You're that. allowed to say what you would do as a person. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's yeah. saying what I would do. And, yeah. and we don't know because we don't know anything else to do. She's right. right. There's no yeah. known treatment to reverse. I think, I think she's just saying that, look, this happened to the animals. It's probably going to happen to the people. Maybe right. a different time frame because, you know, all the lifespans are different and metabolic rates are different and things like that. So the time frame is not known. Right. But that would be the most likely thing to expect and and it, i'm just saying you know maybe it looks impossible right now but there's going to be hundreds of millions or more people in that situation and if we could be foreseeing that and start thinking about what could be done you know to help them that would be good i know and i and i and you know the the giving it to children I can't, I just couldn't believe we were doing that. You know, 1.9 million Swedish school children last year didn't miss a day of school. They didn't social distance, anti-social distance. They didn't uh, wear masks. They didn't do anything. And they didn't die. There was not one childhood death. How? And, and by the way, their teachers didn't get sicker than anybody else. How can we justify any of them getting one of these agents, these experimental, unapproved, genetically modifying potential agents? Or even what Peggy Hall calls the self-suffocation devices on your face. Yes, the self-suffocation. They didn't do that either. And, yeah. and the, you know, and I, I know why they're doing it. By the way, I found out why they are going to vaccinate children, because they've got to know. It doesn't make sense from any ethical medicine standpoint. The answer is, if you put it on the childhood schedule, you get indemnified as a vaccine company. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. That's the issue. But it, but nobody, I mean, personally, I, I, and I, and I have a son in medicine that I'm just hoping does not take it. I mean, it, you know, it's always pressure in the hospital, but don't do it. Don't do it. But, you uh-huh. know, um, I mean, certainly if my children were small, I would not experiment on them. And if I were pregnant, I would not experiment on my unborn child. I just wouldn't. 
Right, right. And there's a lot of people being pressured under threat of losing their jobs now. I know. It's starting. Sometimes it's worth it. Yeah, it's like, you know, commit suicide or lose your job. Right. (laughs) Right. You know, and people, I get it. People, a lot of people are taking it and they're younger and they don't have any problem with it. And they look around, they say, oh, you guys, you're just conspiracy theorists. You're crazy. But it's like Russian roulette. The well, that's what the is, ferrets ta- told each other, too, in the test. Yeah, that's the, yeah, it's Russian roulette. Oh, look at three people shot. Nothing happened. This must be okay. Right. That's not the exactly. way to look at it. Yeah, no matter how many cylinders might be there. Right. So, you know, I hope that at some point you might have time to do another segment with us. And th- this is just well, really important to get this information to the people. And um as a bottom line for people trying to think, all right, wow, that was so much information. What do you think they should simply take away from the discussion to remember above everything else? Well, I think that this is a, um, it's mostly this a psychological operation on you and that you can, you can protect yourself from this virus pretty well. You have a low chance of dying. So even if you're considering the vaccine, you don't have to rush into it. It's not an emergency. I will say that we have entered the period of, of we have entered a new age, like we entered the, the, the nuclear age, we've entered the bioweapons age. So there's a potential for something worse coming out. Yeah. But our response to nuclear weapons was not to hide in our basement just because that was what you'd have to do in certain circumstances. And our response to these agents cannot be that we subject our children to masks, social distancing, and hiding our... There's a, the one time, you know, in the pan, a real pandemic will be killing a lot of people. You know, the smallpox is a horrible disease. If smallpox comes around, you should get in your basement. And here's your tripwire to actually isolate. And that means real isolation to a virus means you don't go out to talk to anybody. You don't go buy groceries. You stay completely isolated in your own little air bubble. And that is when doctors and nurses are dying uncontrollably and we can't stop it. There is a time. Right. But we're not in it. And we need to fight back against this. Well, and it might be nice to stop the uh, research into developing these weapons at the labs all over the country as well, too. Right? I mean, Dr. Boyle said there were 12 major ones operating now. And there's probably a lot more than that. And they've all been illegal in the U.S. since 1990. Right. I know. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not completely with him on the point that we should stop at all because, unfortunately, just like when we signed the bioweapons treaty with the Soviets, they turned right around and did it. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. At least have to have a defensive capability somewhere in the army, say. Right. But we should stop funding people. We shouldn't be funding people that are then in the pay of China, like Dr. Lieber in Harvard. We should not be funding people that knowingly are upregulating viruses at the university level. I don't think we should be doing that at all. And right. if you stop the funding, this will go away. Well, and, and what you bring up is that any tool, you know, can be used for good or bad. Right. And it's like the people that don't understand that with firearms issues think that just disarming all the citizens is the way to keep us safe. Right. It's it's the same issue. So it's a consciousness test, and hopefully people start waking up more. Right. Anyway, um, hold on, and we'll say goodbye in the break here. And, Thank you. Um, so there goes Lee Merritt, Dr. Lee Merritt, you guys, and um, bringing back faith in the integrity of great doctors that are still around. Certainly a lot of them in her group, America's Frontline Doctors, and in the European uh, Ally Group, uh, World Doctors Alliance that we've talked to. And 
I encourage people to stay in touch with her. Go to her site, drleemerit.com. And she mentioned another site, which I put in the notes here somewhere, uh, themedicalrebel.com. And also look at the Frontline Doctors uh, site, which is, I think it's AFLDS.org. And if you don't find it there, look at America's Frontline Doctors in a non-Google search engine like DuckDuckGo, something like that. Um, these people are, are offering great hope to the future of humanity, in my opinion. And we'll try to have more of the Frontline Doctors on in the future as well as uh, we're already in touch with the World Doctors Alliance in Germany and Netherlands and parts of uh, Europe. And there are over all these people who are doing such great work are overwhelmingly busy. So that's going to determine when and if we can get them on, but we'll try. And we're not able to do this on the regular platforms. Some of the regular platforms, as you know, because it would get shut down. And we need to make maximum use of uh, Internet exposure as long as we do have it. So if you're seeing these shows, please share them. Help us get by the censors as much as you can. Uh, the information could save people's lives, and it's really an important uh, element of everybody's real education as opposed to school, which is indoctrination, to put it in simple terms. So stay in touch with those websites. Also, this is our our Sunday night show. We have a Saturday show every week on Saturday. You can go to lostartsradio.com and find out what platforms all these shows are on. The Saturday one is more about current events, which is really tied together with presentations from people like uh, Dr. Merritt, but that's on once a week. And it's followed by Planetary Healing Club, as long as we can keep that going, it's a private group that is uncensored. It's live and interactive. Doug and I are there every week talking to, um, you know, usually I'll bring something for the first hour and share it from what I've gotten into during the week. And then we'll sit around and exchange ideas and questions and Q&A and thoughts and, you know, show suggestions, anything that comes up. It's a really unique opportunity. And that group can stay in touch with each other during the week between live meetings as well. Um, The other thing is if you want to and you've got resources and you want to keep us on air for a while and fund our projects, which are on hold waiting to have money to do because we're not doing commercials or anything like that, just public service information that we hope will help you. You can support us financially if you want to at the donate button at lostartsradio.com and there's another one at our nonprofit site, lostartsresearchinstitute.org. Occasionally I have private uh, consultation appointments and the money from that goes to the the nonprofit as well as the donations. And there's also a subscribe star page which is subscribestar.com slash lostartsradio. And we're appearing on more and more non-censored platforms like brighteon.com, uh, BitChute, and other ones like that. Um, so stay in touch. The main site will tell you how we're pro- uh, progressing on that. And you can stay in touch with which, which ones are still operating. Um, thanks for being here. I really appreciate your time. And the main message of all these inspiring people and uh, showing you the work that they're doing is that you are not 
the limited, helpless, little dependent person that you're supposed to believe you are. You're incredibly powerful. You have the limits that you believe you have. And we're all uh, walking around with vast power to help improve the situation in the world and heal the insanity that we're living in the middle of now. So don't underestimate your importance. Uh, Stay in touch and um, take a look at the main website, lostartsradio.com. Support us if you can and share the programs, and we'll meet you here next time. Talk to you soon. Introducing Lost Arts Radio on Subscribestar.com. Just go to Subscribestar.com slash Lost Arts Radio to find our rewards program offering 10 different giving levels starting at just 5 bucks a month. We offer incredible value for any rewards level, from extra monthly interview videos not available publicly to subscription-based Planetary Healing Club videos once, twice, or three times a month, to private counseling sessions with Lost Arts Radio host Richard Sachs, to tech help with me, Doug Diamond. We even have one option where you can be the star on Lost Arts Radio as our guest on a specially produced show just for you. We conduct an interview with you and broadcast it to our growing network and listenership. Our subscribe star levels are one of a kind and offer great rewards for any budget. Please help support Lost Arts Radio. We can't do it without you. With increasing censorship on many of our channels, we really need your support today to keep doing what we're doing. As Richard says, we're not even at survival level yet. Lost Arts Radio has three weekly shows. Lost Arts Radio Live each Saturday night at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific, which is a live stream currently on multiple platforms in case we get banned from some of the larger ones. Right now, we're on Facebook Live, Twitch, and DLive. You can access these broadcasts by going to www.lostartsradio.com live for all the links to those channels. The Planetary Healing Club meets right after Lost Arts Radio Live at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Saturday nights. And our Sunday show with guests airs at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Sunday nights on our Blog Talk Radio channel, our YouTube channels, Facebook pages, and on Brideon. Be sure to sign up for our free email list just in case we do get banned on big tech's platforms. It's just a matter of time, really. They don't like the stuff we talk about, and they do not want the truth out there. In fact, they have already attacked us numerous times. Join our free email list so we can let you know where we are and how to access our shows. The sign-up button is right on the top right on most pages of our website. The best starting point for all things Lost Arts Radio is our main site, lostartsradio.com, where you can find the hottest news selection videos that we curate just for you. Those are on the homepage and added to daily, as well as articles and breaking news about information you really need to know. Our show archives, the 10 most recent shows, are right on our homepage, as well as our Blog Talk Radio page at blogtalkradio.com slash lostartsradio, or just click the All Things Radio Show tab right on our website. We're in the podcast directory on iTunes, and all of our shows, except the banned ones, are on our YouTube channel, at Lost Arts Radio. Our Brideon page is really taking off, and we often have editors' picks videos right on their homepage. Visit Brideon.com slash channel slash Lost Arts Radio. On our site, you can also access our free listener forum, as well as sign up for the Planetary Healing Club, which is just $25 a month. 
where you get private access to a one-on-one interaction with host Richard Sachs and myself and the other club members who participate live. More info can be found at planetaryhealingclub.com. We're providing solutions in there to make the world a better place. Come join us. Stay tuned because up next, you'll get to hear a really great song by an independent artist that we're doing our best to support. Go to lostartsradio.com slash music for the full list of all the great songs and bands that we spin on our audio-only podcast shows. If you're in a band and want to submit a song for consideration for airplay on Lost Arts Radio, visit my website at diamonddiscaudio.com for more information about the music placement, mastering, and mixing work that I do. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Lost Arts Radio. We love having you as part of our family to learn, experience, and grow with.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.